And um, I have a question for everybody. Uh, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I want you to answer it maybe with the person or people you're sitting with. If you're by yourself, you can just laugh at yourself maybe. Uh, did you ever find yourself repeating a story of something? Did you ever find yourself repeating a story or something you consider important? Or I would just say, have you ever found yourself repeating a story? Like it usually goes like this. It usually starts like this. Did I ever tell you? Everyone say that. Did I ever tell you? That's usually a clue that you've already told us. I've already heard that, right? Did I ever tell you this story? I was in the car with Ian the other day, and I, I found that right after I said it, I'm like, oh, gosh, he's heard this 500 times. Anyway, I know you guys have never heard stories from Claire and I like a 1,000 times, right? Did I ever tell you? I've got, I've got one of those stories I've probably told you before. Uh, anyway, sometimes they're really important, right? And you tell them over uh, intentionally, like you're trying to help Whoever you're telling, learn a principle. Like our kids, if I lined them up, if I had our kids here, even some of our grandkids, uh, Claire's got things that she says all the time, and uh, this is one of them. And our kids could, they could, I could give like two words of this, and they would say the rest of it, right? Claire, did I ever tell you that I mar- or my, that, I mar- that my dad marched with Dr. King in the 60s? And he was on the Council for Race Relations uh, under the Archbishop's Council in Detroit. Did I ever tell you? And they, like, laugh. But that's one of those things, like, you tell your kids and you tell your husband, you tell everybody you can over and over. That's, that's important to tell. It's kind of like training. But it's kind of funny at this point. Did I ever tell you? That's all she's got to say is, did I ever tell you? Or the kids just start. They can kind of feel the story coming, right? Like, did I ever tell you? Mom, are you about to say? Yes, I'm about to say it. Did she ever tell us that her dad marched with Dr. King in the 60s? And then there's the stuff that's not so important, but you tell it, and it's usually at family gatherings. There's a lot of that that goes on, family gatherings, like you tell these stories, or you tell, you repeat them over and over. Like, you know, the family gets together, and there's some people just leave the room, because it's like, I've heard this a hundred times. That occasionally happens at our house. Holidays are great. Birthday, somebody's birthday, we get together. So I've got a couple that I like to tell. Um, actually, I've got hundreds that I like to tell. Anyway, uh, one of them is, is, did I ever tell, say that with me, did I ever tell you, did I ever tell you the story uh, that I was the male student athlete of the year, 1980, Melvindale, Michigan. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? Did I ever tell you guys that? Look at that, got the trophy for it. By the way, that is not Claire. She did not win, she did not win any kind of sports uh, student award in high school. She, she won a lot of other awards, but not that one. That's Val Farkas. Val was an amazing basketball player. Anyway, congratulations, Val. But I, so uh, recently, a few months back, I, got a, I just got a chuckle at this. So my brothers, of course, I've got Sean as my brother. I've got another brother, Rick. And we were all into sports, so this is one of those we like to tell each other our stories like we don't know it ad nauseum. Anyway, so here's, here's a text I sent to tell the story. Um, yeah, leave the picture up. That's great. Anyway, <laughs> hey, th- this is me to my two brothers. I don't send it to my sister because she's really tired of us. Anyway, um, hey, I know 2020 has been really hard so far. With that in mind, I thought I would send you guys something to celebrate and cheer you up. So I sent them this picture. (laughs) 
2020 is the 40th anniversary of my acceptance of the male student athlete of the year award, Melvindale High School, 1980. Love you both very much. And then the, the texts start flying. Sean ends up sending a shirtless photo of himself from high school or college. I couldn't, it's not proper to have it in this audience to show that picture. But he says, did I ever tell you that I won the hunk of the year award? Or something like that. Because he always tells us that he's in the Melvindale Sports Hall of Fame, which is true. Let's hear it for Sean, Melvindale Sports Hall of Fame. There actually is such a thing. And I always think to myself, well, Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame, and he deserves to be too. So sometimes they just miss, so I'm not in it for some reason. But anyway, there's stuff we say that's not so important. Not so important, right? But this uh, portion of Scripture that we've started to read today is really important. Some things are extremely important. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, is really, really intensely important. If we're going to talk about the Bible according to Jesus, we really need to pay attention to Matthew 5 through 7. And I'd encourage you to spend uh, some time just washing over that scripture. But in Matthew 5, starting with verse 1, Jesus sees the crowds. He goes up on a mountain And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some things are worth repeating. What some of us might not realize is that even though this portion of Scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, this, this what is considered by probably the majority of people that pay attention to these things, the greatest conversation or talk that anyone has ever communicated, Matthew 5 through 7, but it's easy for us, or maybe we don't understand, that this isn't a one-time conversation. You know, some of you are familiar with, like, uh, you listen to podcasts of different preachers, and there's some preachers, it's like there's five messages, and they might be really good, and they keep saying the same five messages over and over and over again. And the reason they do is because it's worth repeating. And what we need to understand is historians and theologians and those, again, that pay attention to these things are pretty confident that this was the mainstay of Jesus' conversation when he walked the earth, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7 in some form or another. This was what he kept communicating over and over and over again, along with a lot of other wonderful wonderful stuff. Now, when you read Matthew 5 through 7, I think we all realize this stuff is really worth repeating. These are things that really are worth paying attention to. And then, 
it's not too long into it that when you start to pay attention to it, you realize how much not like the world what he's saying is and how much not like sometimes we, the things we pursue is what he's saying. He's saying things that are extremely convicting and they're also extremely challenging and they're also extremely hope-filled. And they open up a whole new world to us because Jesus literally is turning the world right side up when he starts to have this conversation. Now imagine, as we're talking about Jesus coming to the earth and fulfilling what the Old Testament law communicates, but then bringing the new covenant, imagine the things throughout history that have happened through Christianity, through the church, in a horrible way where we have utilized scriptures from the Old Testament, Old Covenant, to justify horrible behavior at times. I mean, imagine leveraging the Sermon on the Mount to do things like starting an inquisition. You just couldn't do it. You couldn't launch a crusade after reading Matthew 5 through 7. You can't use that conversation for that. You can't incite a pogrom against the Jews. You can't You can't do things like Adolf Hitler did by using the conversation Jesus is using here. But if you reach back into some of the old things, you can start to justify horrific things like slavery. And you can live into legalism and self-righteousness. Prejudice can flourish if you pick out certain things and you ignore what Jesus is saying to do and how to be. You can cancel out whole groups of people by picking stuff up from the old. But Jesus said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And because I've come here to fulfill it, this is the new way I want you to hear. So as you go on, so there's this rhythmic thing, right, about the blessed are you. And then he goes into another rhythmic conversation. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, started to. And it goes like this. It's just this thing he repeats in Matthew 5 and going into 6. You have heard it said to those in ancient times, but I say to you. Now, this is a big deal. It's, we, we can't even fully wrap our arms around what a big deal this is, that Jesus is making this statement. When Jesus says, you've heard it said in ancient times... But I say unto you, and then with each one of those, he's specifically addressing things that mostly Moses said or instituted. And that's a big no-no. So Jesus here is essentially saying, I know that all your forefathers and foremothers, they made all these rules and regulations, but I'm telling you the ancient things that you've been taught no longer is valid. In other words, what he's literally saying is, I know your entire life, people you love and respect have told you this, but I tell you this. That's a lot to handle, isn't it? That's a lot for us to handle. And the question has to be asked in our own life is, is there some things that people that we love and have deep respect that have communicated to us that possibly, maybe, Jesus here is communicating something to us that will challenge that and will stretch that. Now, the Bible, according to Jesus, starts with Jesus calling everyone higher. Everybody say that. Jesus calls everyone higher. 
For instance, here's a portion of it. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, Give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Now, listen. Some of us have spent our whole relationship with God paying attention to these scriptures. So this, there's a lot here. We could talk for months on end and only scratch the surface as to what's being communicated. So don't be overwhelmed by the vastness of it. And don't be, uh, one thing's for sure, know this, that Jesus never intended to put some kind of burden on you and I that is shameful or condemning. That's not the intent when Jesus is speaking. Does he want to challenge us? No doubt about it. Does he want to call us up higher? No doubt about it. So, because in this scripture alone, just a few verses out of 5 through 7, here, Matthew 5 through 7, he talks about retaliation, for instance. These are just big categorical things responding to this scripture. He talks about that retaliation is a dead end, even when it feels like it feels good and right. Retaliation is a dead end. That is a new way of thinking. When Jesus made that comment, they were used to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Retaliation is a dead end. That's what Jesus essentially is saying here. Then he goes on, if anyone, uh, you know, wants to strike your cheek, that portion of Scripture is loaded with all kinds of things. It has to do with human dignity, first of all. And we don't have time to get into that, but you turn your cheek to basically say, I'm a human being. Have you ever felt like somebody didn't acknowledge you as a human being? Jesus is saying, you should have dignity. I've created you. You turn your cheek to essentially, and again, we don't have time to get into all the nuances of this, but you turn your cheek to communicate, you can hit me again, but you're going to hit me as a human. You are not going to treat me like I'm subhuman, because I am a human. And a lot, maybe in this room and online, can relate to that, or maybe some of us. But what, what also he's saying here is it's time for us to break the cycle of hostility. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could break the cycle of hostility? Wouldn't that be awesome? Then he says to go the extra mile. This particular portion of Scripture has to do with the Roman soldiers. Essentially, they could ask anyone in his audience, take my bag. And they could put them in servitude anytime. They could be walking by somebody and say, carry my stuff. I'm going to carry my weapons. I'm going to eat grapes while we stroll down the street. And there was a rule. The rule was you could only, the soldier could only make you do it for one mile. And then beyond that, they, you didn't have to do it. One mile. Jesus says if they ask you to do it one mile, do it two. In other words, communicate a grace and a love that is beyond what the world communicates and what the world requires. And then this is key because one of the things that Jesus is doing here is he's, he's communicating to us this is one of the most profound ways that we communicate the gospel. This is one of the most profound ways that we share his love with other people. You remember at the cross, okay? So Jesus goes through uh, the, the, 
the walk to the cross, all of the horrible things that go on, and then he, he goes to the cross, he dies, and you'll remember that when he dies, or maybe you'll remember when he dies on the cross, one of the soldiers, after being a part of all of that horrific stuff, and Jesus just walking the road, the soldiers converted, right? He says, surely that was the Son of God after he fully participated in taking him to the cross. So Jesus calls us higher. See, it's interesting because you could say, well, the Pharisees and the religious type, they call, they set the standard high, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, they raise the bar. They raise the bar, the religious, they raise the bar until it can't be reached. That's what was happening here. The bar is so high intentionally that, that people can't even reach it. You and I can't reach the bar that was being set by the law. No one can do it. And then the world just eliminates the bar. That's what the world does. The world eliminates whatever your truth is your truth. Whatever feels right for you, you just go do it. Let it all hang out, baby, right? Just do your thing. And who cares if you're canceling out all kinds of people while you're doing it? Who cares if you're being abusive to anybody else? Just do your thing because who has the right to not let you and me do whatever we want to do, right? Just eliminate the bar. There shouldn't be a bar. There should be no goal to reach. But that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus not only raises the bar, but then he promises his presence and his power. He promises the resources of his spirit, his presence in your life. And then he lifts everyone over the bar. So Jesus' bar goes high, but then he lifts you up. He gives you and I everything we need to get over the bar. Because this stuff is not, this is not milk toast that he's saying, is it? This is big stuff. These invitations that Jesus is talking about. So he just basically says things, and he goes on. And then you've heard it said, you know, don't do this. But I tell you, don't even do this. Basically, what Jesus is saying is when it comes to those things, things like anger, which leads to violence, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you, do it this way. I'm with you. You can call on me. When it comes to your marriage and integrity in marriage and intimacy, the world has said this, but, and even the religious have said this, but this is my invitation to you. When it comes to relational intimacy, the world, it, you've heard it said this way, but this is what I'm saying. When it comes to broken relationships, when it comes to the treatment of your enemies, I love what Howard Thurman says in Jesus and the Disinherited in a classic book of his. He makes this comment talking about enemies. He says, the religion of Jesus says to the disinherited, love your enemy. Take the initiative in seeking ways by which you can have the experience of a common sharing of mutual worth and value. It may be hazardous, but you must do it. Jesus talks about things like generosity and our treasure and talks about prayer in Matthew 5 through 7 and what to open ourselves up to in our eyes and our spirit and in our soul, what, allow, what we should be allowing to come in and what we should be making sure we don't allow to come in. 
He addresses things like worry and anxiety, and he talks about judging people and, and, and the, the way forward without being a person or people that judge others. He talks about treatment of others. He talks about personal holiness and wholeness, personal wholeness. He talks about things like self-deception. And then he kind of exclamation points it off at the end of seven by saying, don't only just hear what I'm saying. Act on it. Live into it. See, the Bible, according to Jesus, starts with Jesus calling us higher, and it also invites us to pay attention to the fact that he has now finished what has been started. In Matthew 5, 17 through 20, it says, Do, don't you think that I've come, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. The word fulfill, when Jesus says he came to fulfill, that word literally means to bring to a designated end. Jesus was saying, I have come to bring to a designated end this old covenant, this old testament. And I've come to bring something new. I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. I came to finish the job that was started. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if the law was homework, I'm here to complete the homework. If the law was a sermon, I'm here to conclude the sermon. If it were a basketball game, I'm running out the clock. If it were an airplane, I'm landing the plane. You remember on the cross, the last thing that was said, and there's so much conversation around the statement that Jesus made, and what does this really mean when Jesus says, it is finished? The disciples that are still there, there's just John, there's there's some of his followers are still there, Mary's still there, they're hearing him say, it is finished. The word gets out and goes through, the last thing he said was, it was finished, But then he resurrects from the dead. It's famous last words, it is finished. Because we realize, and they realize almost immediately, Jesus said it was finished, but it seems like he's not finished. So what was finished? Jesus was saying, that's all done now. It's all done now. He wasn't saying that he was finished in the church. The church would just be about to get started. He isn't saying that he's done in the world. Jesus isn't finished in crossroads. Jesus isn't finished in your life, in your family. Jesus isn't finished in my life and in my family. What's finished is what he came to fulfill. He met every promise that he gave and he fulfilled it.
which leads us to just a thought. I just want to share a story with you, and then I just have a question for you. This story is real brief. Yesterday, this happens to me so often. Have you ever read that scripture that we entertain angels unaware? And I'm going to tell you this story because I want us to pay attention to what's going on in our own lives because we can so miss what God's trying to do in us. So I... I told Claire yesterday, I, I, you know, of course, studying the Beatitudes, studying the Sermon on the Mount, and it seems like every time I spend a lot of time around these scriptures that I get directly challenged by something I'm totally unexpected. So yesterday I'm here, the, the, uh, some of the kids and families were, Stacy was leading them in a retreat, and Stacy came upstairs. I was in my office working. I'm getting ready for today. And she said, there's a guy. He walked in. I thought the door was locked. I'm sorry. Can you help me? He's looking for a pastor. Young guy. Go down. And right away, he's, you know, he's got a story. And he, you know, I won't even get into all the details. And honestly, it's like I have, I have spent time with so many people like this, just as you have. And I'm thinking... I don't believe anything he's telling me. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how would Jesus respond to this young guy who's telling me he's from Atlanta, Georgia, and he needs to get home? And in the worst way, I just like, I I wanted to just say, you know what? I don't believe anything you're telling me. And I'm thinking, there is no way Jesus would do what I feel like doing right now. I just, I just can't even see it. God, help me love this kid. And right after I started to pray that internally, listening to what his story is, I started to have faces of people that I know that have been in really, really hard situations. And I thought, you know what? If I didn't know them, if they would have been standing in front of me telling me their story, I would have thought the same thing about them. I don't believe a word you're telling me. Even though at this point I know that their story's true. So to make a long story short, I got him over to the train station, the bus station. He actually had to take a bus. We were getting him to Chicago. Then we were going to get him down the road. (laughs) I thought, you know... I don't even know if this kid exists, honestly. I I know that sounds bizarre to you. It is bizarre. I I probably really got in a lot of trouble with what I just said. But honestly, I'm like, God, is, is this kid just an angel that you just, you're like, okay, Scott, you're going to sit with these scriptures. And then I'm going to bring somebody into your presence that really fits the bill of a lot of this stuff. What are you going to do? I know. I've been a pastor for almost 35 years now. You really shouldn't be that way. But I am. I need God to get rid of some old things in my life that I default to. So that's my question today for all of us. What of the old in your life is God 
asking you to let go of. What, what old attitude, what old prejudice, what old cancellation of people, what, what, what is it in your life that God might want you to let go of? And we're going to just allow communion to be a place to be honest to God. Right, So you guys can begin to undo your communion elements, um, but don't lose this feeling. And I'm also going to ask you not to throw out your communion elements until you go out the door today. But just stay, stay with what is happening. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about the marginalized and the disinherited. And, and I found out from several people that... Um, uh, and this is all over the country, that their children's schools um, didn't actually celebrate Black History Month. Like, they didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't. So I, I, this week I thought, I'm going to do something good. You ever do that? Like, you're going to be a do-gooder? And um, I thought, well, I'm going to put this thing I saw on my Facebook page about this little girl who actually has... A black history school. She's 10 years old, so you can look at my Facebook page if, you, if you're with me there. And it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but my friend, the Reverend Dr. Phaedra Blocker, wrote me a note and said, Claire, this is cute and everything, but, but the problem is that it's not this little 10-year-old girl's responsibility. It's the responsibility of our educational system. And that it's not black history, it's American history. And that we should be including all of our brothers and sisters in the history of this country. Amen, my friends. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But here's our reality. We have an American history of even the church disinheriting our black and brown brothers and sisters. And may it never be at Crossroads Church. So this morning, our communion liturgy is going to be led by Teshna and Taneka, and it's going to be around the gifts of our brothers and sisters who we've disinherited, that we felt that we were all right just saying, you know, well, we, you know, we, we think we know. And isn't that good that a 10-year-old is teaching? No, that's how, how about all of us are standing up even now and that we take communion as a family of God we, we talked about the communion table last week. Scott's talking about even on this day, you know, the, those that we would go an extra mile for. And, um, and, and it will be on either side. It could be the oppressor or the oppressed that needs to go the extra mile right now. Are y'all with me? Anybody with me? Whether we are the oppressed or the oppressor, we need to go the extra mile. And so I, on this day, um, as a pastor, uh, I confess that sometimes I think I'm more woke than I am. And I love having friends that will say to me, Claire, you know, that's great that this little girl's doing it, but what we need is an education system that includes all of us. And so, my friends, um, we're going to take communion together. If you're feeling a little disturbed inside, that's okay. Let the Holy Spirit be with you. Um, if you need comfort right now, let the Holy Spirit be comfort to you. But I believe during Black History Month um, that I want to grow up more. And, uh, and, and I want us as a church to grow up more. Matt Fox um, 
is probably going to be starting a book club any minute because he already said yes to it about six months ago, but like any minute. And he and Pastor Scott, uh, you know, they're going to be they're going to be inviting you to to look at your own soul. And so today, let's take communion together in humility and in love. Stand with us, please. Brothers, sisters, and siblings, this is the mighty feast, the joyful feast, the holy feast of and for the people of God. This table represents a level of welcome, inclusion, and imagery which can only be experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have come from all walks of life. We have come from a life of privilege. We have come from a life of poverty. We have come as financially stable. We have come with nothing. We have come with the opportunity and new mercies. The one thing we all share at this table is that we come. Our prayer is that we come together because we are invited, not by the church or the leaders, but by Jesus Christ himself. This is the Lord's table. God is with us all together. God, God is, is with, with us. us. We, we praise you for your mercy on us as we seek to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Together we pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. It is your kingdom, God of majesty and mercy. For you have called forth the creation and raising us from dust of the earth. We bless you for the beauty and the bounty by which each of us was wonderfully made in your image. We thank you, God, for the gift of the indigenous people of Zimbabwe, Mali, Ghana, Uganda, Congo, Kenya, Libya, Senegal, Nigeria, Togo, Zambia, and Haiti. There are many other places not mentioned, but acknowledged for your astounding creation. Black history is our American history, and we are one body in Christ. It is in our rejoicing that we give thanks for your creation of these, your black children for their contributions to our being. Dr. Shirley Jackson for fiber optic cable, for Louis Latimer for carbon filament, the inner light bulb, for Mary Vaughn Britton Brown for closed circuit television security, for Otis Boykin for the pacemaker, for Lonnie Johnson for the super soaker, <laughs> yes, <Hallelujah. Woo> <laughs> and thermoelectric energy converters, for Charles Drew for the blood bank, for Marion Croak for Voight, for Lisa Galapter for animated gifts on the web. 
for Philip in Wagami, a dropout from the world's fastest computer, for Jesse Wilkins Jr., for the math behind gamma radiation, for Garrett Morgan, for the gas mask and the traffic signal, and Mary and Mildred Davidson for women's feminine products, the walker and the tissue holder. Above all, we give thanks for the gift of Jesus, your son and our savior. Christ was born fully human and fully divine. He shares in our joys and sorrows. He shared in the joy of our resilience, despite the evil of the African enslavement, and shared in the sorrow that his gospel didn't compel transformation and quick abolition. He shared in the joy of the Emancipation Proclamation but equally shared in the sorrow of a people who have worked so hard to override, overturn, and recreate that which was designed to eradicate. We bless you, O God, for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit leads us into truth, fights for justice and equality for all, continues to gather us as believers to face adversity, and moves us to be empowered by your love. It is the movement of the Holy Spirit that allows us to trust in the life, death, and resurrection, which reconciles us to you and others. We take great pause as your people to remember all your mighty and merciful acts. Let's take that pause together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and said, take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body given for you. And every time you eat it, remember. Remember Christ who gave his own life for all of us as one body. Together, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus, Jesus, we remember you. After supper was ended, Jesus raised the cup and said, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. It is the cup of the new covenant in my own blood, which is shed for you and for all people so that sins, all of our sins, the sins of our history, the birth defects even in our own nation can be forgiven. And he said, every time you drink it, remember together we say, Jesus, we remember you. Jesus, we remember you.
God, we bless our friends and the newness that's springing up in them, the newness from even allowing truth to come. And may truth continue to come. I bless my friends on their Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday lives and pray that there would be something so new that comes that the words that Jesus prayed in Matthew 5, that we would live from there and be the blessed ones and bringing blessing all the days of our journey home. Go with God, friends. Love you.
came up and put them right outside the bathroom door, the women's bathroom. That would be awesome. And then all our guys who are here to be able to flip the tables and stack chairs. Let's move forward toward the vaccination clinic and get some people safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. Many hands make might work.